last Sunday and actually last uh, week, week and a half, we were not in generosity, but we were out in Los Angeles, another big city, and uh, visiting with Allie, had a great time out there with her and her husband and her little dog. She has a little, I don't know what it is, it's just a fluff ball, but uh, he's kind of full of it and we had a good time. But one of the things that's interesting about where Allie lives is it's near the mountains. And uh, so there's lots of hiking. So there's days that she went to work and we went off on our adventure. And you know, Kelly and I love to hike and, and love to adventure. So we made it to places like Switzer Falls, which really might be better described as Switzer Trickle at this time of year out in, in California. There's not a lot of water, just a little bit coming over the edge there. Uh, we hiked to Millard Falls. That was a little better. I ran into some goats there. That's a weird story that I won't tell this morning. Uh, Sunset Ridge was a, was a great hike last uh, a week ago on Saturday. Smuggler's Cove and Potato Cove. We actually took the boat out to uh, the Channel Islands, and uh, that was a lot of fun, too. Hiked around uh, Santa, Santa Cruz Island, and the uh, fun part on the boat is the dolphins swim with you. So they kind of see the boat, and they come right up beside it, and they just swim right along, and uh, crazy stuff, but we had a great time there. Um, and then my favorite was last Monday, we actually went to Ice House Canyon and hiked that up uh, about 2,500 feet uh, up to a saddle there. Uh, left, it was about 60, I don't know, 65 degrees, got up to where we were going. It was about 10, and the wind was just whipping. And I, fortunately, I put on a long sleeve T-shirt to go over my shorts and T-shirt. So I was up there like this. And uh, we took a lunch to eat, but I was having a little trouble getting the Ziploc bag open because my hands were so frozen. But anyhow, we had a great time and a fantastic, fantastic hike. And I was like, I'm going to go back there when it's a little bit warmer and when I'm dressed a little bit better because there's so much more hiking to do. But what's interesting, as I already mentioned about Los Angeles, is there's so much of this outdoor stuff just right there. This humongous city, if you want to go hiking, it's just right at your doorstep. I don't think we were ever more than like an hour from my daughter's house with any of this stuff that we're doing. If you live in other cities in the world, though, it's a little bit harder. And a lot of big cities don't have all the outdoor stuff. And so if you're there and you're a hiker, you're a little bit limited. Except for this thing, and maybe you've heard this term that's used sometimes, and it's called urban hiking. And urban hiking is simply this, walking around the city. But some of these cities have actually put together trails. Now, even like here in Detroit, if you want to do urban hiking, you can go down to, and this will show up in your little trail guides, you can go down to the, the Quinder Cut. And it's some green spaces in the city. If you're in Chicago, you can go all along the, the lakefront there. But other cities have, have figured out other things along uh, lake or waterfronts. And uh, even like you go to a place like Boston and you can take your hike on an actual trail that will actually lead you through the history of the city. And so this month we're talking about urban hiking a little bit because we're talking about hiking not in generosity, but actually hiking to generosity. And so that's what I want to dive into today to talk about one of the trails that goes to this place. Now, Generosity is actually a fictional city. It doesn't exist. You cannot get out your, your phone app or your atlas. Remember those things that we used to carry in our cars that were like this big that had all, yeah, that, you know, somebody would have to tell you and you try to get the exits right. Now there's just a person, you know, talking to you. Get into the third lane from the left and, and uh, whatever. But you're not going to find generosity. And if you actually get in your car and ask whoever, you know, is your Siri or whatever uh, directions to generosity, they're going to be stumped. But it is a real place still the same. And if you've been there, you know it's a pretty incredible place. Maybe you've been there on the side where you've received something, but maybe you've been, and this is really where we've been going this month, 
Maybe you've been on the side where you've been able to provide generosity to somebody, and you know what a thrill and what a meaningful and fulfilling experience that can be. But the problem is on the way to generosity, on the path, on the trail to generosity, there are distractions and there are roadblocks and there are forks in the road. And I want to look at one of these forks in the road here this morning. Because when you get to this fork, you can go one way or you can go the other way, but there's not really signs there. And as you look at it, both, say, both choices seem pretty good. And in fact, one choice seems pretty popular. And it looks like a lot of people have gone down there. As you look down the trail, it looks pretty inviting and pretty enticing. But it's the trail called greed. Now, when we use that word greed, it kind of like jolts us. And we back up a little bit. And it's like, oh, that's a strong word there, Brent. And, you know, when we talk about greed, nobody wants to be called greedy. You know, you, we can call each other a lot of names. I can, call, I can call you maybe you're insensitive, or you can say, well, you're, you know, too defensive. And we have all these different things that we say about somebody. And we kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. But if someone says, but you're greedy, okay, then the, then the fist comes up, right? It's like, oh, don't call me greedy, buddy. I am not a greedy person. And there's something about that term that just kind of like eh, rankles us. Because we don't want to be called that. So let me just assure you this morning, I'm not going to be calling us greedy. Jesus might, but I won't be, okay? So just to give you a little bit of heads up there, and we're going to be looking at a story that shows up in Luke chapter 12. And as you turn there, I invite you to turn there. This is a, a, a great story. Let me just give you a little bit of background. This is only included in the Gospel of Luke. So this story and the other synoptics is not included. And Luke doesn't give us a lot of background about it, but just a little bit. He says at the early part of the chapter that um, there was like a huge crowd there, thousands of people. In fact, it was a rowdy and chaotic crowd, and people were actually getting trampled, is the description. And there's uh, a lot of commotion going on, and Jesus starts talking to his disciples, so you can kind of picture them close to him. But this crowd gathers around, and, and he starts to teach, and it seems to like extend beyond the disciples. And so there's this discourse going on, and he's hitting on various themes. And then somebody in the crowd shouts out to him. And this is where we pick up the story here in verse number 13. Luke chapter 12, verse number 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, and I'm sure it was more than just said to be heard, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, Jesus was called teacher. A lot of times uh, that word would be rabbi. And the rabbis were the religious teachers of the day in Judaism. And they had a lot of the respect of the teachers. And they actually had a religious um, uh, port, part to what they're doing. That was the main thing, to, to, to teach the law of God. But they also had some political um, power, too. Because the Jews, a lot of times, didn't want to go off to the Romans who occupied their land to get judicial uh, proclamations handed down. So they would actually go to the rabbis and say, hey, we've got this situation here. Could you help us sort this out? And so they had some, like, judicial, I wouldn't really say responsibilities, but opportunities where people would come. And so this would be right on par with that. A guy coming to Jesus saying, hey, I recognize you as a great teacher. Hey, could you help us out with this situation here? Now, he must have felt like he had a pretty strong cause because he's going to Jesus. And, you know, if this whole thing gets, you know, tried here, uh, that, that he's going to come out on the best side. But he comes and he asks, hey, teacher, my brother, 
He's gotten the inheritance. He won't give me what I think is mine. Could you settle this issue for us? And Jesus refuses to hear it. Verse number 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge and an arbiter between you and your brother? And then he said to, not him, but he said to them. So he's talking to the entire crowd now. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he refuses to hear the case, and yet he uses this opportunity to expose the problem. And he says to this man who's, who's saying, hey, I need your help here. He says, you know what the problem is here? That, you know, you think it's that your brother won't give you your inheritance. Let me tell you what your problem is. Your problem is greed. Ouch. He said, but, you know, it's not just you. It's your brother, too. I didn't realize that he won't share with you. So he's got a greed problem, too. But by the way, since I'm talking to all of you out here, he said to them, we all have this greed problem. So you need to be on guard against that. And so he goes on and he says this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, let me just take you back to, to high school days real quick into English class. And maybe you can help me out a little bit here. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. What is the subject of this sentence? It's ground, right? And what is the verb? Yielded. And we have this prepositional phrase that's right there uh, to give us some more you know, details on the story, but you could leave that out. So we could read the sentence this way, the ground yielded an abundant harvest. That's a really, really important part of what Jesus has to say here. It was the ground, not the man, who created the abundance. Verse number 17, the man sees this abundant harvest and he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, most of us would look at that and say, that's a great problem to have, isn't it? You know, how many, in fact, how many of you ever had that? You had so much money or things or whatever. It's like, I don't know what to do with all this. You know, let's throw a garage sale. I don't know. But uh, we, we don't get there. And we look at this guy and say, well, that's not really that big of a problem, except for the fact that it was. Because we typically in life, I'm trying to avoid all this tape up here. We typically in life think that abundance is the goal. So if I can just get to whatever this level is that I've decided for in life is, is, is I, I hate to call it abundance because we don't call it that. We, we call it the minimum, but really it is, it's abundance. If I can get to that, then I'm all set. And that becomes our goal to enjoy this abundance. And what Jesus is saying is this parable here is this like, don't, don't, don't view abundance as the goal. View abundance as the danger and the potential downfall. And so what has happened here is this man is walking down the road and he comes to this fork in the road. What shall I do? He asks that question, shall I do this or shall I do this? And who knows what his options are, but he chooses an option that takes him away from this place that we would call generosity. And so let's keep reading here, and I'm going to go back and, and reread verse number 17 again. And notice here, though, there's several words that start to repeat themselves. Verse number 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, 
You have plenty of grain laid up for many of years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be married. And what are the words that keep repeating in there? I and my. I, my, I, 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 my, I, I. And this is the guy who, when he comes to the path, he looks at this and says, well, what's going to be best for me? And he makes that decision based on self. And so the fork in the road doesn't become so much about a where am I going to go or what am I going to do. It becomes a question of who exactly am I? And when we talk about this idea of greed or when we talk about this idea of generosity, it is an issue of who we are as people. Now there's another word there that's not repeated, but still a really important word, I think, in verse number 18, and that's that word beggar. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger barns. Have you thought about that? At one point in his life, the barns were adequate. What he had was enough. I have these barns, and if I fill those up, I'll be good. And all of a sudden, now he has more than fits in these barns. And so it's not like, well, I have too much. It's like, gosh, I don't have enough barns. Isn't that weird how his perspective changes there? But how many times are we like that in, in life? I remember the first house I bought, 1,100 square feet on Brookhurst. Um, it was on a slab, so there's no basement, there was no garage. And I can remember just thinking, wow, if I could have a garage, how awesome that would be, a garage. And so I got the next house on Twickenham, and it had a garage. It was detached. It was about 60 feet from the house, and it was a one-car garage. So you know whose car parked in the garage. It wasn't mine. I was looking out for my wife. So I'm still thinking, it wasn't until I got to Avenel, my third house, I finally got a garage. But you know, that's not how we think. I was like, first house, that was so cool. I actually bought a house, yes, as a young guy. But it didn't have a garage. But we always are doing that. We're always looking for the bigger in life, we're looking for the bigger house, we're looking for the nicer car, or, or maybe we need some more shoes, or a bigger TV screen, because it's only like 72 inches. Uh, we need a more expensive coat, or a faster computer, or we need to go on a bigger vacation, or have a bigger nest egg. We have all of these things that are all about expanding, and getting bigger, and, and growing our kingdoms. And then, what we do with that is we find security in it. Okay, wow, I have, even if we can get to the place of contentment, it's like, yes, I have that, and life is good. Well, let's keep reading here. God says to him, the man who just built more barns for his much grain, you fool. Now, I, you know, I'd rather be called a greedy, greedy than a fool, but that's what God calls this man. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then in a twist of irony, he says, then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? All the people that you could have given this to, because you already had enough, they're going to get it anyhow. But the bad news is, you won't be alive to see it happen. Pretty rough there, isn't it? But he's called a fool because he makes a bad choice and he takes the wrong Trail makes a bad decision, and he chooses greed instead of generosity. And then Jesus concludes it by saying this, This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Everywhere we're going, every path that we take in life is going to take us somewhere. And it's going to take us where it's going. It's not some random thing. And this goes all the way back to where we started here uh, earlier this fall. 
every path takes us somewhere, and there is a reckoning, a result, a judgment, a conclusion of that path. So the conclusion that Jesus says to them, excuse me, was all the way back at the very beginning there in verse number 15. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And so the first question I want to explore this morning a little bit is this. Not are you greedy, but how greedy are you? And how greedy am I? And to explore that question, we need to look at this. Get a definition of what greed is. And greed is simply this. It's an unquenchable thirst for more. And I'm thirsting for the word thirst there. As you look at that, I left that out in the slide there. Unquenchable thirst for more. But greed is simply looking at what I have and saying, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more, and we're talking money in this, in this case, or possessions in this case, but if I just had a little bit more time, or if I just had a little bit more power, if I just had a little bit more prestige, or we, we could fill in the blank with, with a lot of different things. But greed is just that, that, it's a thirst for more, but it's unquenchable. Because even if you get it, it's still not going to do what you think it will do. Well, Jesus said there in verse number 15, though, he says, beware against all kinds of greed. I found that just really interesting as I was studying this, because I think of greed as a, a thing. I mean, and there's like one version of it. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's all kinds of greed. So what does he mean by that? And we don't really know for sure. He could have meant this. That there's like greed that's financial and there's like greed that's like involved in relationships and there's greed when it comes to time and there's greed when it comes to, to, to power. And that's a possibility. Or he could have meant this, that when it comes to greed, and we're really talking about the material here, there's a lot of different faces to greed. And there's a lot of times then we are dealing with greed where we may not even recognize it. And I think maybe that's what he's trying to point out here. In fact, as we go through this story, there's at least six different kinds of greed that come up. And so let's explore those this morning. And then when we get to the end of that, say, okay, what do we do about it? Because I don't think any of us want to be known as greedy people. But let's just see, where do we kind of like look at this and go, ugh? And then what do we do coming out of the backside of that? So the first thing there, the first kind of greed is this. It's demonstrating an attitude of entitlement. In this story, it's the brother who said, I deserve this. I deserve this inheritance. And when we get to places in our lives where we think that we deserve something, we are dealing with greed. And it's really part of our society right now. We, we hear this word all the time, rights. These are my rights. I, I deserve my rights. And I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. Because if we got some of our rights, I don't think we'd want them. Like, we, we deserve, you know, one of our rights is to be punished for our sins. I'm not signing up for that anytime soon. And we have, you know, what are my rights? My rights are to, you know, to live in eternity without God. Because I walked away from God, who didn't give me rights. He gave me privileges. He gave me opportunities. And we get into this, like, I deserve this. And that's part of greed. We're like, if I don't get what I deserve, I'm dissatisfied. A little bit scary there. I had a friend named Andy, uh, Andy Theory, interesting guy. But I always remember this. If I ever said, hey, Andy, how you doing? He always answered the same way. Better than I deserve. And that's really true, isn't it? 
because all of us are doing better than I deserve. So maybe we need to be a little less about what's rightfully ours and realize that everybody can have this idea of entitlement or this, this attitude of entitlement. Secondly, greed is wanting what someone else has. My brother has it. I don't. I want it. And, and uh, I'll even want it to the place that, that if he gets less, I'm okay with that because I still need what's mine. And it's where I look at what somebody else has, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean that, that they have less. I just look at that and go, hmm, I want that too. And it becomes part of a comparison game. And we, we use the phrase, the keeping up with the Joneses, but it's really that. Greed is where I look at them and say, oh, you've got that? Well, I want it too. It's wanting what somebody else has, and we see that show up in the story here of the offended brother. Thirdly, we see greed is this. It's a failure to share from your abundance. And so it's this brother who wouldn't share with his other brother is what the stories or, or the situation is. And then the parable is built around a farmer who doesn't share with his neighbors. I have to guess, and it's just a parable, so there's, there's no backstory to it, but if you could flesh this out a little bit, you would have to guess that this rich farmer probably had neighbors who didn't do quite as well. And if he didn't have neighbors, there were probably people in the town who could have used a little bit of food, and yet he was all about just storing it up for himself. And greed is failure to share from your abundance. And that's interesting because now it's not this drive to have more. Now it's just this simple idea of like, wow, look what I have, but I just use it for me. And it's mine, and it's to be used for whatever I want. You know, it's interesting. This is a contrast to what Mark talked about last week, the, the Macedonian churches who gave out of poverty. What Jesus is talking about here is we need to give out of our abundance as well. And most of us, if we're completely honest, we land way closer to the abundance side of things than we do to the scarcity, poverty side of things that Mark talked about last week. But greed is where I look at what I have and I'm not aware of the needs of people and situations around me. Failure to share from our abundance, or we could say it this way, and this might be more accurate, living for yourself at the expense of others. If what I have can be and is more than what I need, and what I have can be used for somebody else, and I'm not doing that. I am engaging in greed. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this parable. And that's a hard question to deal with, but one I think that we need to ask ourselves. Number four, it's desiring to accumulate more than what you need. And I think... We have a tendency to do that. It's just kind of how we're wired and how our drive works sometimes. In some of our society, we're always like, how can, how, how can I move forward? How can I get? And that's how we measure progress a lot of times is by what we accumulate and what we collect. But greed is often, and maybe this is the most common definition that we see anyhow, but it's that desire to accumulate more than what you need. Greed is also this. It's making choices based on what benefits me the most. Making choices based on what benefits me the most. So I'll take the bigger cookie because that's good for me. And that's what greed is. And this is for both of these brothers here. It was like, what is best for me? What's best for me is to have the whole inheritance. Oh, no, what's best for me is to have part of it here because you're, you're, 
And they're pointing fingers at each other, and both of them are dealing with the same root issue. They're all about themselves. And then finally, it's placing the material above the spiritual. And we could say it this way, it's simply failing to prioritize God when it comes to your financial dealings. If God doesn't have first place in your financial dealings, you're struggling and wrestling with and maybe succumbing to this issue of greed. So the question isn't, are you greedy? The question is, well, okay, how greedy are we? Where has greed snuck in, sneaked in? I don't know what the word is. Where has greed crept into our lives? And I'll guarantee you it has, because what does Jesus say? Watch out. Be on guard. And that's really where we want to finish up here this morning. How do we deal with the greed in our lives? And this is what Jesus says. Five things here. First of all, be aware and on guard. Right now is a good time to sit down and say, okay, how am I doing with this issue? And if you're saying, well, I'm not sure how I'm seeing myself over here on the greed side, then maybe you need to go over here to the generosity side and say, okay, where have I been generous lately? Whether it's in giving at church or giving it to in my neighborhood, giving in relationships, giving in, in, uh, in uh, influence. Because if I can't identify things here, it's probably indicative of the fact that I have been this way here. So beware and on guard. And I think Jesus said this because it's so easy for us to fall into this trap. Greed is not just dangerous, so we need to treat it as such. It's foolish is what you know, God says there. It's also insidious, and it sneaks in when we're not looking. And most of us, if we're completely honest, we could say, ooh, I'm seeing it right there. Secondly, don't be fooled. Jesus says, don't be fooled. A man's life does not consist in what he, uh, the possessions that he has. But don't be fooled to think that you don't you know, struggle with greed. But don't be fooled by the promise of greed. The promise of greed is what? If you have more, you'll be fine. If you have more, life will be good. If you have more, you will be more happy. Don't be fooled by the promise or the lie, we could say it that way, of greed. Thirdly, understand what your source and your security is. The source is God. The source was the ground, but who sends the rain to grow the crops that are in the ground? Who sends the sun to grow the crops that are in the ground? Who gives man the ability to harvest the crops that are in the ground? The source is God. And if we're going to overcome greed in our lives, we need to look at this and say, oh, everything I have is not because I collected it. Everything I have is because God gave it to me. And if we want security, a lot of times, and this is what this guy is like, I finally got enough, I can sit back and I can eat, drink, and be married until the day I die, which is all of 30 seconds. But we find our security in the wrong things. So our source is God and our security is God. And then when it comes to things, that's kind of immaterial because that's not where I, you know, I didn't get it for myself and that's not what's going to keep me safe here. And what's interesting is sometimes we hold back and say, I can't give because I don't know if I'll have enough. How did you get what you got? Well, God gave it to you. So if you give it to somebody else, do you think God could replace it? If he gave it to you in the first place, it just makes sense, doesn't it? So understand what your source of security is. Do you know that there's a reckoning that's coming? 
This is a scary part about this parable is that there will be that day when God says, okay, let's talk about this. How did you do with this issue of greed? Or how did you do with a bigger issue here of generosity? And it's not just a now thing where I live for myself now. It's a later thing because there is a reckoning that's coming. And then finally, choose the right trail. This is how it will be, verse number 21, for everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And so what is the right trail? The right trail is to be rich towards God. So how would you say this morning you are at, at, at doing, at being rich towards God? And what does that actually mean and what might that look like? So let me just give you a few ideas as, as we wrap up here this morning. First of all, being rich towards God means that you should be acknowledging God in your finances and in your resources. Being rich towards God means that you don't separate your faith from your money. Mark talked about this last week, that, that, that generosity is a trust issue. But that's exactly true. Being rich towards God means that I realize that this whole material thing here is going to be, and what I enjoy in life is going to be based on my faith, not on my job or not on my income or you pick your word there. Being rich towards God means that God should have a voice in your finances and resources. When you sit down and say, here's how I'm going to spend my money, and hopefully you do that from time to time, but you sit down and say, this is what I'm going to do, does God factor into that equation? And does he factor into that to say, well, what does God say about this? Because, you know, one of the themes in the Bible that, that, that is in there more than anything else is actually the theme of money. In fact, more of Jesus' parables were about, or were money-related than anything else. So there's a lot that the Bible says that God says about your finances. Does God have a voice in your finances and resources? That's part of being rich towards God. Being rich towards God means that you should have a goal of serving God. In seeking his kingdom with your resources. Because eventually we're going to live past this life into the next life. And I'd like to think that we've invested some in this next life. And one of the ways that we do that is actually with the resources that God gives us. So being rich towards God says, okay, I'm taking my resources and I'm investing them into an eternal kingdom. Being rich towards God actually means being generous with others. Because we're told to love God with all our hearts and we're told to love our neighbors as well. And we can't do the first without doing the second. We can't do the second without being generous. So that's what it means to be rich towards God. See, life is not about what we acquire. And at the end of the day, we don't look at everything that you've got stored in your garage or your basement or your attic or parked in your, in your yard and say, yes, this man did a great job. At the end of the day, we get there and say, how did this guy live out his faith? How did he love others? How did he care? Was he sharing? Was he generous? Did he make a, a difference? Did he have an influence? Did he have an impact in the world? And, you know, you can die with all kinds of money in the bank and be impoverished. Or you can die with nothing in the bank and be as rich as anybody out there. And so the challenge of this morning is to not be greedy, but to be rich towards God. 
to honor God with my resources, to be controlled by that desire, not by my desire to have more. So let me just get this really, really down to earth and practical here, all right? And, and to challenge us with just something to think about this month is we're talking about generosity because generosity does matter to what we're doing as a church here too. And uh, we don't typically say a lot about giving at, at Waterford here. And, and for the most part, uh, we ex- experience a lot of generosity uh, f- from, from the congregation. But let me just give you a challenge here this morning. If you're not giving at all, you're probably not giving because you're worried that you're not going to have enough. But let me just remind you that it's God who gives you enough. It's not up to you. And if you're going to be rich towards God, that would be a really good first step to take here. And so my challenge to you would be, hey, if you're not giving, to give. Not necessarily because the church needs it. We have to operate on, on, on offerings, actually. But we give because I want to steer you to a place called generosity, which is an incredible place to go. So if you're not giving at all, hey, dive in. And sit down this week and say, hey, you know, can I, can I come up with 25 bucks? Can I come up with 50 bucks? And I'm going to give that as a first step. Maybe you give periodically, irregularly, whatever. My challenge to you would be to be rich towards God is to say, you know, I'm going to make that regular. Just like every time the paycheck comes, that's just going to be part of it. It's going to come out of that because I want to be rich towards God. I don't want to, I don't want to be consumed by this greed and this fear that I don't have enough. And if that's the case where you're just kind of, well, every once in a while, if there's extra, that's not a good way to give, actually. Give, give from the start and let God do his thing. He's pretty good at it. And then I would also say, you know, there's a lot of people sitting in this room that you give very regularly. I think it's easy, though, to be complacent in that situation, to say, well, I'm doing my thing. My question would be is how generous are you being? Is there more you could be doing? And maybe that's a question that you need to be asking yourself this morning as well. Now, these are just practical, simple steps that you can take in relationship to the church. But you can do the same thing in life. You can be generous with your neighbors. You can be generous with your coworkers. You can be generous with your co-church attenders here. Or you can be greedy. See, there's two paths. There's not a third one. You can choose the path of greed. And Jesus says, God says, hey, that's what a fool does. Or you can choose the path of generosity. And that will take you to the place that you really want to go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it hurts and it cuts deeply. So this morning, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us to be rich towards you, to be cautious, aware of where greed might pop up and and show up in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to find the right path in this situation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The first question is, what decision do you need to make? If you just come and listen this morning, that's not going to get you any closer to where God wants you to be. My other question is, if you come this morning, you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to free you up from all these things that hold you down. And you can just commit your heart and your life to him. And he'll give you freedom from the greed that maybe grabs onto you, the possessions, all of that. And he'll give you that freedom to pursue generosity. The life of following Christ isn't necessarily easy, but it's always rewarding. So I'd encourage you in that way. Dear Jesus, please help us to be people of generosity.
Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. When you stand with me, we're going to sing our way out of here this morning. A song that's one of my favorites. Um, sing of the goodness of God, right? God's good to us. Let's be good to him. <laughs>